Let's have a word of prayer and we will begin. Dear Father, thank you for this time. Father, we know that every day is your gift. In you we live and move and have our being. And we thank you for the gift of uh, the measure of health that we have. That we're able to be up and about and able to be here together as family. Your gifts are tremendous beyond our comprehension. Your plans for us beyond our comprehension. And we thank you for that and we thank you for the message in Romans to help us uh, understand just a bit more about what you've done and are doing for us. Father, we readily confess that we're needy. There are a number among us who are not well. You know all of those situations. You know all of those needs. And uh, we may be mentioning others as we pray right now that are in our family or acquaintances or co-workers or neighbors that we are asking blessings for. And we ask your blessing to them according to your will, Father, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Please bless our time together as we study today. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's February 12th, 2023 A.D. R.C.E. It's funny, either way, it's 2023, but they wanted to take the idea of... uh, religion out of dating so uh, they come up with CE common era which might be better pronounced common error you can say Christ era if you please the uh, the scientist and the folks in the media will say common just a quick quick recap Romans 1 through 3. Paul spends a lot of time uh, to prove his point that, the point that all mankind is under sin, whether Gentile, Jewish, whatever the nationality, whether it be from the written code or the code written on our hearts that we have. No one is living up to it. So as he says in chapter 3, verse 9, all. All are under sin. So um, then he moves into, in chapter 4, he moves into justification by faith. We are not justified by how good we are, by our heritage, by any works or deeds we do. We are justified because of our faith in him, in what God is doing. And he uses the illustration in chapter 4 of Abraham to the Jewish members of his audience. He said Abraham was considered justified and righteous before he was circumcised. So the point he's trying to make to the Jewish readers is that if Abraham was justified, was considered righteous without circumcision, so are the Gentiles of today if they have faith. And so he makes that point over and over again in chapter 4 that we're justified by faith. And then in chapter 5, 
Let's read a couple of verses. He continues the thought, then he shifts gears. Chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since he's made that point, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith. And then I'm jumping down now to, uh, or up, I guess it's down. Two verse 6. While we were still weak or helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. If we have been justified by his blood or since we have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by his life? If we were justified by his death, now that he has overcome death and he's alive, he says, how much more? He's alive, he's there, he's listening uh, to our prayers, he is engaged. He said, You're, we're, we're saved, even more so. If you believe his death forgave your sins, now that he has overcome death and has risen, how much more are we saved by his life? So, so that's where we got to last week. Uh, so verse 12, I want to, um, okay, let's just, let's just look at this verse by verse for a moment. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world, he's going to go into a series of contrasts, series of contrasts. Just as sin came into the world through one man, that'd be Adam, and death came through sin, so death is spread to all men because all sin. A couple of thoughts on that. I believe what he's talking about there, I don't think anyone of us would have issue with this. What does he mean by all sin? We know we all do. I think he's talking about people with the cognitive ability to tell right from wrong. We break God's law, either the written in scripture or that written on our hearts. I don't believe he's talking about babies there. You know, Jesus said, if you want to come into the kingdom of heaven, you must be like the little children. I believe babies are completely innocent. Completely. First uh, John 3 in chapter, uh, chapter 3 verse 4 says that Breaking uh, that sin is lawlessness, transgressing or breaking God's law. Babies do not break any laws. Why do babies die? Because they are born into a sin-infected, sin-cursed, fallen world. A lot of things going on in our world that began back in the creation, back after the creation, after Adam's sin. Scripture says in Genesis 3, 17 and 18, after Adam's sin, he says, the ground will be cursed because of what you've done. And it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles and you're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow and it's going to be hard. Romans chapter 8, later, as we'll get to, he talks about the whole creation is groaning under the penalty that it was subjected to from the garden. Groaning. 
there is a curse going on in the physical world that we don't fully grasp the impact and the results of sin and what that had on the physical creation as well as on everything that lives on it, us included. That's why I think babies, sadly, even though innocent and have broken no laws, may be sick and may pass away. Of course, what that, while that's painful to us, that's a rescue by God. That's a rescue to go, to go straight into heaven or paradise. Very hard for parents, but a rescue. Okay, so let's look at the next, verse 13. How about that, Richard? I'm keeping up on my own so far. You should be proud of me. That's just one. (laughs) Verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. So, where there's no law, there's, there's no sin because sin is the breaking of the law, but there was law. Uh, I thought I felt something on my arm. Glad it wasn't a dragonfly or something like that. Yes, Carolyn. So Carolyn's asking what, uh, when a baby passes on and goes to, back to God, how old is it? What's the consciousness level? Uh, Number one, I have no idea. Uh, Number two, I think they are conscious on a higher level, not as a baby. I think when God brings a child into heaven, he gives that child the ability to appreciate where they are in his presence. So I I don't think they're, while they're innocent and sinless and pure, I think my opinion, opinion is that they're elevated in their consciousness and understanding that magic sound. I don't have my phone on me. It's the magic sound. It's something Cindy's doing back there. The computer rebooted and did something. It burped. Uh, My guess, Carol, good question. Um, So sin was in the world before the law was given. That would have been before the law was given to Moses. But sin was already there because, as he discusses in Romans 2, there is a law written on our hearts that comes from God, Romans 2, 14 and 15. So man knew, we've always known what was right and wrong. Eve knew she was breaking God's law when she was tempted. She knew. Um, We'll look at that in a second. Um, She's not the one that they say brought sin into the world. Yeah, Adam. Adam. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that. Richard said Eve is not known as the one who brought sin into the world. It was Adam, which Adam gets the credit for that. But God addresses both of them in Genesis 3. Um, 
Well, let's just turn with me. Let's go ahead and look back at Genesis 3. Turn in your phones to Genesis 3. Um, So it starts out in Genesis 3 how crafty the, the serpent was. And he said to, to the woman, did God actually say to you? And so he's, he's, he's starting his, his approach here. Did, did God actually say this? And then Eve responds in verse 3. She says, yes, he did. God said, don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden. Not only that, God said, don't touch it. So if you don't touch it, you can't eat it, Right? If you do, if you touch it, if you eat it, you'll die. It's pretty, pretty clear. You can have all these trees, all the fruit of all the garden here's before you. Have anything you want. Just this one. Stay away from this one. You know, try that with your five-year-old or your six-year-old or seven-year-old. Just don't do that. Just, just stay away from that. Don't touch it. I... I remember doing that with Fletcher and Rory at different times when, before they moved. Now, just don't touch this. Have you got that? What? Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Okay. It usually worked. <laughs> so. So she ate. You know, notice what the proposition is in verse 5 of chapter 3. Satan said, God knows that when you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you'll look like God, and you'll uh, be like God. Tricky, tricky proposition there. You'll be like God, knowing the difference between right and wrong. And that came true. They didn't know what the penalty would be. Now, here's the thing. Here's the temptation. If you, if you eat of this, you'll be like God, and you'll know right from wrong. What, what does that mean? She had no concept at that point. Well, she ate, and then sin occurred. She disobeyed God. And God said... Just one second, Jeff. God said, basically, okay, you ate because you want to be like God, you want to be like me, then, okay, be like me. You must also be flawless. If you're going to be like me, you have to be flawless. So the sin of, the the law of works comes into play. Live a flawless life and you can have eternal life if you live flawlessly. It comes into play right there. And they were not able to live flawless lives, so they came under the judgment of the law of works. And that, from that point on, needed redemption. Jeff, did you have a... The temptation was to be like God. And so, what did that appeal to? It appealed to her 
self-interest. It appealed to her pride. It appealed to her ego. Is it any, uh, is it uh, any question as to uh, whether, uh, why is it that so many places in scripture we see uh, warnings and condemnation about pride and self-interest? We're told over and over and over to deal with your self-interest. Don't become selfish. Don't be prideful. Don't become, uh, don't let your ego get the best of you over and over. No wonder that keeps showing up in scripture because that's what started the whole thing. The whole cascade. DJ. She didn't know the consequences. And she didn't. I don't believe that Adam and Eve really understood at that moment what consequences were. And I think this is when it comes to sin has consequences. And then as we go and follow the story, you know, through the Bible, the sins have consequences that society can redeem from So DJ's saying, well, maybe she did know the difference between right and wrong. Maybe so. She knew she wasn't supposed to do that. She knew God had said, don't eat this. But she did not understand the consequences of what that meant. (laughs) Carolyn, Kathy, Jeff. I think the world was so perfect and sinless. And what happened was she turned her back on God. It brought Satan into the world. It was opening the door for Satan. And at that moment, trees and and flowers and everything is infected. The wrong types of insects and stuff. I just think Satan, that was his opportunity. That was the opening. And that's what he'll talk about later on in chapter 5. Once that happened, it all began to unravel at that point. Kathy? I think she knew the consequences but didn't understand them because she says in verse 3, you must not touch it or you will die. Or you will die. So she knows there's some consequences. What does die mean? That's a good point. I don't know what die means because nothing's died and I'm. she was in a state of eternal life. Jeff and then Danielle. Jerry, I, I think we touched on challenge that we all want to be like God meaning we all want to make our own decisions and when we make them uh, even though we know they're not quite right maybe we will try to rationalize and justify them why that it's well this is really not so bad this is okay if I do this and so we're still wanting to call our own shots Daniel she didn't trust God that's a good very good point uh, that Danielle saying she didn't trust that God would give her everything she needed 
Therefore, she wasn't trusting God when he was providing everything she needed. And so the consequence, bad move. David. Uh, one thing when it says she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it, sort of like sometimes now as husbands, we don't say, well, whatever, we'll just take it. Uh, he didn't think about it at all. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to come right back to that. You're reading my notes. Okay, so for warning to future teachers, David will read your notes. And that's okay. That's fine. Richard? Uh, there is a Jewish perspective on this. It's called Yetzer Law. When it, Yetzer literally means inclination, law, evil. It's man's inclination to evil. Man has an inclination to evil. Certainly that is the case after the first sin opened the door. I don't, uh, we're not born sinners. Babies are innocent, but we have a weakness to sin. We have an inclination or a weakness. And the, when the temptation comes, uh, you know, we're, it's not too long before we fall to it. Notice, I want to make one point before we leave this in Genesis. Uh, so after they broke God's law and sinned, go to verse 16. Um, this is an interesting translation and uh, not all translators translate it the same way I think some leave an assumption probably in your Bible depending on what version you have in verse the second part of verse 16 uh, well God tells the woman part of her punishment you're going to multiply I will multiply your pain in childbearing and then he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. We don't think of your desire will be for your husband as punishment. But that's not really what he's saying there, the way we would quickly read over it. He's saying your desire will be for your husband's position, your husband's role. But he will rule over you. You're going to want to have more control. He's going to be the leader. That's part of your punishment. Uh, like if you have the New Living Translation, it reads, your desire will be your desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. The New English Translation says you will want to control your husband, and he will dom- but he will dominate you. That was the punishment put on Eve. When Paul writes Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, don't let a woman have authority over a man in in the church. Paul's going all the way back to Genesis 3 where God set that up. Your desire will be to control your husband's position or authority, but he will rule over you. Paul brings that forward all the way to 1 Timothy 2 when he says, don't let the woman have authority. Not talking about different values, same values. A woman, Paul says in Galatians 3, there's neither male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Gentile, none of that. All are one in Christ. Everybody has the same value in Christ, but not everybody has the same role. 
different roles, God-given roles. When Jesus began his ministry, he chose 12 men to be his disciples, apostles. He could have chosen anybody. He was following a pattern that was established in Genesis. That's for free today. Uh, Then in verse 17, back to David's comment uh, under Adam. You listen to your wife, so cursed is the ground because of you, and you're going to have to work hard to make a living. You listen to your wife. In other words, you did not take leadership. You were responsible from the beginning. So in the New Testament, when we read of this, as we're reading in Romans chapter 5, he talks about what Adam did to uh, his sin. His mistake turned loose all of, the, all of the problems we have with regard to sin. Adam gets the blame, not Eve. In one section it says that Edom was, uh, Eve was deceived. But Adam was responsible from the beginning. God's first created to be the leader. And he said, you listen to your wife. You didn't do what you knew to do. You did not take leadership. And so all of this is turned loose now. And it's your fault because you didn't control the situation. You were the leader and you failed. So, so there's Genesis 3. Um, now we get to Romans 5, let's see, 15 through 17. He will say five times in the next three verses, free gift, free gift, free gift. Five times. Maybe he's wanting us to understand that salvation is a free gift. That we cannot earn it. No works earn it. It's a free gift. Now look at verse 17 with me of chapter 5. He says, let, let me say this first. He says free gift four times, but doesn't say what the free gift is. Finally, the fifth time he says free gift, he does say what the free gift is. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, that's the free gift, righteousness. When we come to God and put our trust in what he's done for us through Jesus, We are given the gift of righteousness when we put our faith in him. We don't become righteous because of something we did. We become righteous because he gives and credits us righteousness. It comes from God through Jesus. More on that in a moment. Verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Notice this, 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Adam and Eve wanted to be independent from God. They wanted to call their own shots. 
They wanted independence. They took of the tree so that they would be like God on their own. Their desire for independence brought sin and death and ruin. The contrast is here, Christ depended on the Father. He obeyed the Father. By one seeking independence, ruin came. By the other being dependent, not my will, but your will be done. His obedient dependence on the Father brought life and grace. What a contrast. Danielle. Louder, please. Yeah, wouldn't. Yeah. You're married to God in heaven. You're not married to each other. That's one of those many things that's hard for us to quite understand. We love our wives or our children or, uh, you know, we have these special relationships, but in heaven you'll be like the angels, no marriage. Somehow we'll be able to love everyone equally, and that's beyond our ability to comprehend at this point. Uh, It's interesting that this thing about Jesus' obedience, thy will be done. Hebrews 5 verse 9 Though he were a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered, and he became the author of eternal salvation unto all those that obey him. Now that should tell us something right there. The author of eternal salvation unto all who obey him. Obey him? Isn't that a work? No. It's not. Obedience is never optional to please the Lord. It is always expected. And Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. So our obedience to him must therefore be an act of faith. We're saved by faith. When he says, so many places, and some we've read this morning, when we're saved by faith, does that mean something I just really believe in my heart? No. It means I follow him. Hebrews 11, the whole chapter, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Abraham moved. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, by faith, by faith, obedience, 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 obedience. Faith is defined by obedience. It's never separated until we get to the 19th and 20th century. And now we hear preachers separating obedience and faith. You can't do anything to earn salvation. Right. We could never earn it. It's just by what you do in your heart. So pray this prayer. Sinner's prayer is not in Scripture. Where would we get the authority to add something to Scripture on something as important as salvation? What? I'm going to use something not in Scripture 
to determine salvation and to tell people how to be saved? Not me. I'm just going to read the verses and let them make their decisions. But I believe the error that we've fallen into is not understanding obedience. We today have classified obedience as a work that we do, a work that we do right there. It's not at all. When we do that right there, we're trusting in God's work. We're trusting in God's work. What if God wanted to say, let us tell you, uh, what if he wanted to say that baptism is an act of faith? What if he just said that? Would we believe him then? Well, he does say that. What if he wanted to say that Baptism is a uniting with Christ. Would we believe God if God said baptism is a uniting with Christ? Would we accept that? <laughs> like we have some position to play? Well, he did say that, uniting with Christ. What if God wanted to say it's a new birth? Would he say that? According to John, he did say that, John 3, 5. What if God wanted to say that it was for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? Would he say it? Well, he did say it. Peter. Acts 2, 38. Think about this. Keith. I don't know how it's wrong because most of the other groups out there that call themselves churches of one sort or another, they rule out baptism because it's a work. Yeah. And the free gift excuses them from it. There is nothing they do to save them. It is a free gift and you hand it to them. Uh-huh. And yet they say you have to recite the uh, sinner's prayer. That's a work. It's an action that we do. I don't believe that's what it's taught. Most of those groups do not have baptisteries. So, we get hung up in this free gift. It is something that Christ has. Back in verse 24 or 3, it says, uh, and we are justified by His grace as a gift. It doesn't say free gift there, but it does in what we just read. He has plenty of forgiveness. He has plenty of righteousness to hand out. It is free on His part. It is like me offering to you or anybody in here that has a fireplace, I might say, I have a lot of wood. It is yours free. You don't say to me, stack it up in the back of my yard and put a fourth of it up next to the fireplace when it's a free gift. Yeah. You come and get it. You have an action to do on your part. Free gift. We get, we get confused over obedience and a work. Obedience is never a work of merit. Obedience is always expected, just like it was expected in the garden. Obedience was expected. It's always been expected. Gift in itself implies 
there is no requirement to get it. It's something given to you without compensation. Mm -hmm. And again, like we've talked about in Richard says gift is something given to you. Like Jesus said in, in uh, was it Luke 17 and 10, when, you've, when a servant has done all that they were told to do, when they've done all they were told to do, they should can only say, I'm still an unworthy servant. <laughs> when you've done all you were told to do, he said, you're still unworthy servant. You don't earn the gift. Isn't it interesting to, to you that Paul spends chapter 4 talking about being saved by faith. He continues the thought in chapter 5, saved by faith, access to grace by faith. And then he gets to chapter 6 and he starts talking about baptism. Is he talking about something different from faith? No. He's still talking about being saved by faith. There's no separation. It's an act of faith. So look at it with me. Uh, one, two passages before we get to Romans 6. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, if you want to write that down or read it. We are children of God by faith. Well, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Children of God by faith. Got it? For, explanation coming, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is an act of faith. The Bible says so. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. No sinner's prayer mentioned. It's not in Scripture. It's not in Scripture. But Jesus said before he left the planet... Go into all the world and tell them about me, what I've done, who I am, and he that believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus' last words. Wouldn't that be something important to think about? Why would I add something to that? I claim to follow Jesus and now I'm going to change what Jesus says about salvation? No. Look, we all are saved by grace. We all depend on God's grace. But I'm going to try to do what I can to obey what he said. Not to substitute. So, one more and then we, real quickly, I got about, I'm going to take about four minutes. Uh, Colossians. Very important passage. And an explanation passage of what we're talking about about faith. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. He talks about just before that, he says, in Jesus the whole fullness of the Godhead dwells. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's spiritual. By putting off the body of flesh, the body of sin. By the circumcision of Christ. That's a spiritual act. Now watch this. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him 
Through faith in the powerful working of God. Faith that God is doing something. Faith that God is forgiving my sin, that God is giving me the Holy Spirit, that God is putting me into Christ, and that God is giving me the gift of the Holy Spirit. I have faith right there. I have faith in the working of God. Is baptism a work? Not man's. It's God's work. It's God's work. And God is making a change. He is taking away the body of sin and making us new. Uniting us with Christ. That's what he says. You read it. So now we get to Romans 6. Paul is continuing his thought about being saved by faith. And he goes into a discussion about baptism. To Paul, it's all a part of faith. It's no work of man. So read this with me. What should we say? Verse 1. Should we keep sinning so we can get more grace? No. You died to sin. How can you keep living in it? Don't you know that all of us... Now watch, here's, the, here's where God explains everything to us. If God can't explain it, I'm sure not going to trust some preacher somewhere to explain it. I'm going to let God speak for himself. And then it comes down to me if I accept what God says or if I'd rather accept what someone else says. Paul explains, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, into, you see that word there, into? Into means into. Now that's where forgiveness is. It's in Christ. All of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Into his death. That's where our debt for sin was paid. This is an act of faith, folks. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him. With him. With him. An act of faith. Nothing said about a sinner's prayer here. This is what God set up. Jehovah God of heaven set this up. And Jesus commanded it before he left. And Paul is explaining it in Romans 6. We were buried therefore with him by how? By baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we come, we say, I want Jesus in my heart. I want to live for Jesus. I want to be a Christian. What do I do? Peter said in Acts 2, repent of how you feel about Jesus and be baptized in his name for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul says our old man comes to him. We're, buried, we're united with him by baptism into his death, buried with him and raised new. An act of faith. In God's working to take us from old to new. It's God's work. It's our faith in God's work. Romans 6, 1 through 9. And we've run out of time. Slap out of time. God bless. Have a good week. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. 
I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.